Please read with me John 1, 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, good morning to all of you on this, uh, I think, fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's so good to be with you to worship God together. And before we pray and sort of dive into this passage of Scripture, when I walked in this morning, a lot of you might know that there are people who aren't here who follow our service on the live stream, and I'd heard that there was a family, actually that a family that we know, in Poland, who from time to time will join our worship service using the live stream. They're the parents of, uh, of Greg Turkanik, and I walked in today and noticed that they were present with us for this worship service. They're here for a while. That's Henry and Tanya. I wonder if you guys would just wave and... And we just want to welcome you guys. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming and being with us today. We're so glad to, uh, so glad to see them. Well, as we begin to look into God's word, uh, as we're talking about love's pure light, we want to pray that God would shine his light on his word and on our hearts this morning. So would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you so much that this morning we can celebrate the fact that the light of the world has come into the dark world. And we also can celebrate the fact that you give salvation by shining your light on our hearts. You've also said that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we pray that even this morning, as we look in your word, that it would be a light for us. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, we had our monthly uh, gathering called Beer with Dead Guys. Some of you have maybe heard us talk about that. And I was talking to somebody that was there that night who happens to be um, uh, the wife of a couple, a family that attends our church. And I was talking with her before the event got underway. And she looked at me with this, this mischievous look on her face and she said, what would you think of a Christmas card whose theme was in sin and error pining? And I thought about what an odd, odd title for a Christmas card, but of course I recognize that those words are from one of the most uh, beloved hymns of the Christmas season, O Holy Night. And it says in that hymn, long lay the world in sin and error pining. So she was saying, hey, Mike, what do you think of a Christmas card with that theme? And she went on to explain 
that that phrase in sin and error pining accurately describes how their year has felt. And she just wanted to put out like a totally real Christmas card. And I said, you know, I don't really know the answer to what you need to do for your Christmas card, but I feel like you just gave me a great title for a Christmas sermon in sin and error pining. So that's where that came from. And I was doing a little bit of research on kind of the meaning of those words in sin and error pining. And somebody said that what, that, what those words do is they describe the state of the world before the first advent, that is before the first coming of Christ. So long lay the world in sin and error pining. And the word pining means to long for something, to languish for something. And so the world was longing for rescue. The world was longing for relief. And then this person goes on and says, and actually in sin and error pining accurately describes the world that we live in today as we anticipate the second coming of Christ to renew all things. That somehow we feel that same thing that the world is in sin and error pining. And I wonder this morning, as we look at this passage today, as we get into it, I'd like you to think about that. When you look around the world, do you see that that's true? Do you feel that, that long lay the world in sin and error pining? When you look at the wars around the world, when you look at, when you look at human trafficking, when you look at uh, all, genocide, all sorts of things around the world, and I wonder if you see that that phrase, which by the way comes from a Christmas carol that was written by a Frenchman but was adapted to the English in 1855 on the eve of the American Civil War where it wasn't hard for the per Dwight Sullivan who actually did the English translation, he was an abolitionist and he could see that long lay the world in sin and error pining. And I wonder if you can see that in our world today. I wonder if you can see it when you look around at maybe your workplace and you see things going on there and you feel like, I live in a world of sin and error pining. Sometimes when you look at your family, when you look at your story, and even as I do, as Molly and I do, when we look at our own hearts, we see in there that even in our hearts, we find that there is sin and error pining. And I would go so far as to say, even though it's an odd title for an Advent sermon, a Christmas sermon, I would go so far as to say that we have not yet understood the coming of the light. We have not yet understood the meaning of Christmas until we are gripped by the reality that we live in a world of sin and error pining and longing and languishing. And if we really grasp that, if we grasp that in our world, at work, our family, and our own hearts, we will appreciate the coming of love's pure light even more. I love it that we're looking at the Gospel of John chapter 1 this morning. And I want to say a, a, say a word about who this message is for and who the Gospel of John is for. I'm aware that there are some of you here who are skeptics about the Christian faith. And I want to say that I really understand your skepticism. Some of you perhaps have been hurt by 
churches or by religious faith over the years in your upbringing. Some of you are skeptics because you have a rational mind and you, you, you want to believe, you want to know that something is actually true. You don't want to believe a fairy tale or a myth. You want to come to God and you want to make sure that it makes sense and that it's rational. And, and I want to say to you that I really, really understand that and really appreciate that. And I want to tell you this morning that the Gospel of John, all 31 chapters, we're just looking at a few verses. The Gospel of John was written for skeptics because John says in the last chapter, he says that these things were written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. So this message, these verses this morning are actually designed for skeptics, for smart people, for people with questions. I want to say a word also to those of you who are actually believers in Christ. Uh, you, just, you just heard Tyler's faith story, and so a lot of you here are either young believers or new believers, or maybe you've been a veteran Christian for a really long time. And I want to say that this, this Gospel of John is also for you, and here's why. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, which... Mike Osborne talked about last week, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you listen to that, if you read John 1 and verse 1, it reminds us all of Genesis 1-1, which Brian preached about two weeks ago, that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. See, God is a creator. He created the heavens and the earth, but because of the fall, the world has been in sin and error pining. So when we get to John chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, what John is announcing is that this book is about, the Gospel of John is, is about a, nothing less than a new creation, that the coming of the light into the world, the coming of Christ into the world is nothing less than a new creation that begins with the gospel changing the hearts and the lives of people that will, but will end up in the renewal of the whole world. And it reminds us of how C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia talked about how in the world prior to the coming of Aslan, the, the Christ figure, that it was always winter, but never Christmas. But when Aslan starts to come, you start to feel this thaw. And that's talking about, that's pointing to God's plan to eventually renew the whole world. So if you're a believer in Christ this morning, if you're a, a veteran believer in Christ, don't, don't, don't take this passage too lightly. Don't let it pass you by. Because by the time we get to verses 12 and 13, you will see that you are a child of God, that you are part of his new creation and part of his plan to renew the whole world. So whether you're a skeptic or whether you're a believer today, this passage, I believe, is tailor-made for all of us. Now, we're going to see three things about the coming of love's pure light from this passage, and here's what the three things are. First of all, we'll see that love is revealed 
Secondly, we'll see how, or excuse me, the light is revealed. Secondly, we, secondly, we will see how the light is rejected. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the light received. So the light revealed, the light rejected, and the light received. So let's go into the passage and let's talk about the light being revealed. And this is really a, a good section of this sermon for those among us who might be skeptics, if you have doubts about your faith, remember John wrote this gospel for you because a lot of us might say, well, if only God would reveal himself, I would trust in him, I would believe in him. If only God would somehow make himself known, I would believe in him. And what John is saying here is that God is a God who not only wants to reveal himself, to the world, to you, to me, but he has revealed himself. Let's talk about the light revealed. So look back at verses six through eight. Just we're gonna talk briefly about how this light has been revealed. It says in John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now who's he talking about here? He's talking about not John, the writer of this gospel, but another John, John the Baptist, he was the forerunner. The Old Testament said that there would be a forerunner who would come before Jesus and his name was John. And it was John the Baptist who pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that's who this is talking about in verse six. Very interesting that John the Baptist would get like this airtime so early in the gospel and it, it must be really significant I was actually tempted to skip over the part about John the Baptist because I wanted to get to Jesus as quickly as I could, but then I realized, no, that's part of this passage. So what, what, what's going on here with John the Baptist? Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So notice it says that he came as a witness. He would bear witness about the light um, so Tyler used the word testimony. Brian used the word testimony. So what it's saying here is that John was, was a witness to the light. He would tell us about the light. And he says that all might believe through him. And let's not skip over that phrase, that all might believe through him. I want to say again a word to those of us that might be skeptics, those that are resistant to the Christian faith. You might even wonder, is this even for me? Am I even welcome? And am I included in this invitation? And it says here that all might believe through him. So don't take yourself out of the equation of this passage and in this beautiful story. But notice verse eight, it says about him, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So you think about John the Baptist, what was his role? He was not the light, which will keep any famous person humbled. They need to, John the Baptist just go around saying, I'm not the light, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not even worthy to untie the, the sandals of the one who is coming. He was not the light. And the analogy in my mind, the, the illustration of this is sort of like the moon and the sun. So if you go out at night and you look up in the sky, you look in the dark sky and you see this bright moon and you might be tempted to think that the moon has light of its own but all it's doing is reflecting the light of the sun. So when you look at the moon, you see that light but it's just a reflection of the true light. And so John the Baptist was to Jesus what the moon is to the sun. He was not the light but he bore witness to the light. 
And you know, John the Baptist was first in what would become myriads and myriads of people and stories and songs that would represent the accumulated testimony and evidence about the coming of Jesus Christ. John, John the Baptist was just the first one. So when Tyler was up here today giving his testimony, giving his faith story, what, what that does for us is we realize here is a person who stands as a witness, as a testimony bearing witness to the light. And we should see that, all of us should see that, as part of the accumulated testimony over the centuries about Christ. And even, even I think, the Christmas carols that we sing, you listen to these words, they are like, it's like more John the Baptist coming our way and pointing us to the light of the gospel. So. He reveals himself through people like John the Baptist and through songs. But then I want you to notice verse 9. So, because the, the revealing of God would, didn't just rely on John the Baptist, because we might say, I want God to just come down and show himself if he would just do that. Has he ever done that? Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone. Now there's that word everyone again. Don't take yourself out of this. If you're a skeptic, don't say this can't apply to me, that I could never be a Christian. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now I want you to notice a couple things about this. First of all, it says the true light. Now what does that mean when it says the true light? Well, the word true means genuine. So when Tyler talked about his upbringing and sort of a uh, universalist background, believe whatever you want, it's, it's, and, and no absolute truth. If you think about that, it really doesn't make sense to li live life that way, but the only thing that would get past the relativism that Tyler talked about is, the is if God himself would come down and reveal himself, the true, the genuine light. John Carson takes this word true, though, and he says it's about more than Christ being the genuine light, it's that he is the, he is the, not just the, he's the true light, but he is the ultimate light. In other words, get this. When we think about the coming of Christ, he is the ultimate light in the sense that everything that came before him in the Old Testament, the prophets that talked about where he would be born and all these things about Christ being the Prince of Peace, Lion of Judah, all these things in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ Christ, the true light, is the fulfillment of all of these predictions of the ages, and he's part of this larger story of God. And that further strengthens the case for Christ being the true light, because he is the only person in all of history who has fulfilled the prophecies and the promises of the Old Testament. He is the true light. And notice it says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light was coming into the world. What that's, what's that talking about? It's talking about the incarnation. We just, say, we just use the word God incarnate. What that means is God becoming flesh, God becoming a human being, God becoming like us. The true light was coming into the world, and where that started was at the nativity scene in Bethlehem at the birth of Christ where you see these nativity scenes all over people's lawns and stuff, it's pointing to that time. What was happening was that the light was coming into the world. Now, there was a baby, there was Jesus, there was Mary, there was Joseph, 
But how are we to understand that? What do you see when you look at that child in a manger? What do you see? Now, we would see a child, but to understand it, we would have to listen to the words of the angels in Luke chapter 2. The angels were just this, the song of the angels, angels, glory to God and the highest, and on earth, peace towards men. And then they go on to say, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what do you see when you look at that manger? What, do, what, what are we intended to see? What the angels said, to see, first of all, a Savior who was on a rescue mission because the world was in sin and error pining. We see a Savior. But a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah, God's only anointed king, the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. A Savior, Christ the Lord who has the authority to rule the world, to rule the nations, and to rule our hearts. That is what we see when it says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world in the manger in Bethlehem. So did you catch the fact, by the way, that the angel said there is born today in the city of David? That's a fulfillment of Micah 5.2 that said in Bethlehem a ruler would come in the city of David, he would be born. It's not just John the Baptist. It's not just Tyler. It's not just all the carols. It's actually that God became a man. God really has come into the world. He was the true light. He was the genuine light. He was the ultimate light. Do you see love's pure light, do you see that God has entered the world, that he has embarked on this rescue mission? See, we would not understand this apart from the belief that we live in a world that is in sin and error pining, which leads us to our next point, the light rejected. Now, don't miss this part because John acknowledges a reality that is like a dissonant chord in the music of redemption, and that is the rejection of Christ. So we're gonna talk about that right now because he talks honestly about it. Look at these words in verse 10. In your bulletin, you've got it there. It says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It uses the word world three times there. So what is meant by the world? Well, we would say, long lay the world and sin and error pining. It's interesting, grammatically what's going on in verse 10 is the word world, which appears three times, is the first word in each clause. So the world, he came into it. The world, it was made by him, but the world, it did not know him. Do you see the, the irony that the creator is not recognized by the world. Do you see the rejection that is inherent in this passage? You know, when you think of the word, the word world, sometimes the word world is a morally neutral term. It's like the created world or people around the world. But if you, if you go deeply into the use of that word in scripture, 
you see that the world is in sin and error pining. That there are, are, are if you will, overtones of darkness. So that the, wor the world used three times and the world did not know him. We get a clue to the darkness of the world and the world's rejection of the gospel and the rejection of the light and the rejection of Christ. This is the light rejected. And then look at the irony of the next verse. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The religious leaders of the day, the people that had read the Old Testament, the people that should have known, did not receive him. So you have this, this ironic thing going on in the Christmas story of the, the rejection of the light who had come into the world, the world that he made. What do you think of that? Think about this for a second. He came to a world to rescue us like, like a doctor coming to a battlefield to heal. But then he comes on the scene and he finds a mutiny. He finds a world that has rejected him. Have you ever thought about this question, why do people reject Christ despite the evidence, despite the testimony, despite all the good promises of God? Why is it that people reject the light? I want to give you three reasons why I, why I would think that people reject the light. And I know, I know a lot of, I have a lot of really good friends who are not yet believers in Christ, had a lot of conversations with people. Let me give you three reasons. One is some people reject the light out of a misunderstanding. There was somebody that said once, I think a historian said, that most people have not rejected Christianity, but they've rejected a caricature or a bad picture. So there are some people that truly misunderstand who Jesus is. In fact, it says in this verse, he came to the world that he made and the world did not know him, did not recognize him. So there's a little bit of that going on. Uh, I know that when I was in high school, I was not a believer, and I didn't understand the gospel until somebody explained who Jesus was to me. And that's why I think it's so good to read the gospel of John, 31 chapters. You could read a chapter a day and be done during the month of January, and I'd really recommend that for you. There's a second, so it's not just misunderstanding, but there's a second reason that people reject the light. In fact, Tyler alluded to this in his own heart, and I think this is perhaps one of the most difficult things to admit, and that's pride. You know, the, the Christmas carol says, in sin and error, pining. Do you realize how difficult it is to admit that we're a sinner and that we need a savior? And so we reject the offer. I mean, some of us guys don't even wanna to go to the doctor when we're sick. We reject the offer. We think we can make it ourselves. We think we don't need a savior. Pride. Not just pride because of in sin and error pining, but because of, of error. We have wrong beliefs. And have you noticed how difficult it is for people these days to even admit that they're wrong about something? That is a difficult thing. But if somebody can get through to our thick heads about the truth of something, whether it's a health thing that we need to know about or whether it's uh, something that we're kind of, you know, we've got blind spots in our life, the most important thing 
is to be willing to say, what does, what does God have to say? And is it pride that's holding us back? I want to ask you a question if you're a skeptic this morning. If you, if you could be convinced that Christ is real, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, if you could be convinced of that, would you believe and would you follow him? Because that indicates the true nature of our hearts. So sometimes it's misunderstanding, sometimes it's pride. And then Jesus himself gives a third reason why people reject the light. And many of us have been there, so this is not like pointing at others. But in John chapter three, Jesus said that people did not come to the light because they love the darkness rather than the light. You see, the world is in sin and error pining, and sometimes there's a part of us that just we love the darkness. We love to hide. We love to run our own world. We love to do what we want to do. Rejecting the light. Wouldn't it be great if we had like a miracle take place that would sort of get us past our misunderstanding and our pride and our love of darkness? I actually think the love of darkness is a really difficult fever to break because long lay the world in sin and error pining. In fact, I think it takes a miracle of God. That leads us to our last point, the light received. So let's look at verses 12 and 13, and I want you to see this miracle, this beginning of the new creation and how this works. John 1, 12 and 13, it says, well, some rejected him, but then it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But don't overlook verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. I want you to think about verse 13 where it talks about being born of God, the new birth, I think we just sang one of the carols today that talked about he came to give us a second birth. He came to give us a new birth. You could have all sorts of, you know, the new birth doesn't mean turning over a new leaf or like resolving to just do better or getting more religious. The new birth is talking about a supernatural, powerful, gracious, though often unfelt action of God to make dead people come alive. That's the new birth. And it's interesting, it's similar to the virgin birth of Christ. Think about the virgin birth of Mary, how the Holy Spirit caused this, this baby to be born in her, this flesh, and how God, who is a spirit, actually put on flesh in the womb of Mary. And Mary didn't have anything to do with it. It was the action of God. In fact, the angel Gabriel said, with man it's impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. And there's an analogy to the new birth that really what we, what we need is a work so deep inside of us that by the grace and the power of God, we are made alive and there's a new birth. And we can't do that in our own power. Now. <clears throat> But notice verse 12, because it doesn't negate the importance of the human response. Think about verse 12. It says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, 
to them he gave the right to become children of God. So there's a, there's a human experience and a human response. Tyler talked about that. And it's really, really very simple. I mean, we think that going to heaven, eternal life, being a Christian is something that we would just have to work for and to earn by being morally good. And that's, that's what religion is, but Christianity is different from religion. Don't tell me, by the way, the score of the World Cup final at this moment, but I thought I would make a little bit of a soccer reference here. If you watch the World Cup, they fight for every point. They fight for every win. They fight for every trophy. It's just, it's just what you can earn. It's what you can do. And so much of life is like that. And so it comes as a surprise, really, when we get to John 1.12, it says that it's, to, but to as many as received him, that is Christ, he gave, he gave. That means it was a gift, like at Christmas time, a gift to be received, to welcome into our life. One of my favorite uh, authors is uh, uh, the late pastor John Stott, pastor at a church in London, one of the one of the towering giants of the 20th century. And he wrote a book called Basic Christianity. And he talks in there about what's involved in receiving Christ. And this was something that meant a lot to him because he became a Christian out of his own skepticism and misunderstanding and pride. And he explains in there that our lives, it's like we have a door to our life and Christ is knocking on the door of our life. To receive Christ simply means to open up that door and to believe in his name. In other words, to believe what the angel said, a savior, Christ, the Lord. Believe in his name and then receive Christ into our life. And you know, that's such good news because if you and I had to wait till we were good enough or wait till we could prove something or whether we went to church enough or whatever it might be, it would just be like, the World Cup around here. You know, we'd just all be working really hard. But Christ has done it all for us. And all that's left is to receive him. But to as many as received him, to, the, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To be a child of God, all of you people who are believers in Christ, there's a great reminder here that you have a new identity that the renewal of all things has begun in your heart when you placed your faith in Christ and you received him. And you were part of a faith community, a church that is on mission to be a part of God's wonderful plan to redeem the whole world. So if you're a believer in Christ this morning, the challenge for you is to continue to follow Jesus, to respond to the fact that he's work doing a new thing in your heart and to pursue spiritual growth. But if you're here this morning and you're not yet certain if you have ever received Christ, open up that door and received him into your life, receiving the light, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I want to invite you to receive Christ in your life. Now, we're not going to make you walk an aisle or raise your hand or do anything to spotlight you. This is between you and God. But if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, I'd like to appeal to you to respond to this gift by welcoming Christ into your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much and praise you for 
the fact that despite the fact that the world was in sin and error pining, that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So at this time, I invite those of you that perhaps have never put your faith in Christ, at this moment, would you open up the door of your life and say something like this to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and I need to be saved from my sins and my pride. And so I turn from my sin and I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my life. Bring the new creation to my heart and change me. And for those of us that are believers in Christ, Lord, would you continue your great work in all of us as individuals and as a church and work through your church around the whole world, even in this Christmas season, to bring the renewal, the new beginning of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.